This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. For a while, there uh, you'd hear rumors that the Knight was in increasingly failing health and, and was near the end of his life. And, and you just hoped that he was comfortable and that his family was able to express their love for him, even if he couldn't acknowledge it or express it back. He was suffering uh, from dementia, Alzheimer's. Uh, uh, he was in a, uh, a memory center or a center for those with memory loss in Bloomington uh, for the last while. And, and what, what you remember of Bob Knight is, is a guy who was an absolutely tortured human being, it would seem, but an absolutely great basketball coach who had a profound effect upon those he coached. For 29 years, he led Indiana basketball. He not only had a profound effect upon the players that he coached and the coaches who formed his staffs, but on the student body at Indiana University for that period of time, and that's me included, from 1981 to 1986. Every single year, you went over to the IU Auditorium. I think it was in Alumni Hall at first, and then the Auditorium, and he would give a speech. He would give a lecture, and you know, at that point, he was at his zenith in popularity, and people would come, and they'd listen to him. They'd fill that auditorium. And people would ask him questions. Some of the answers were dumb, predictably. And it, it was almost like a bit. He'd get dumb questions and, and berate some people. Some people would ask smart people. They'd get berated. You never knew what was going to come with Bob Knight, which was part of the, the uh, entertainment value of those nights at, at the auditorium. He was a fascinating man, and he was a guy who, when you went to Indiana University, you were always kind of you had on your head on a swivel, uh, because like I didn't want to annoy him. I saw him on campus once. I saw him in the Union one time, and I'm walking down the hall, and there was a stairway right there, and he was walking. Down. He was a big ass guy. He was bigger than you thought when you saw him in person. You're like, geez, like some people are smaller, like Tom Cruise, diminutive, very very small. You think, wow, it's Tom Cruise. Bob Knight was larger than you thought he was going to be. And I saw him kind of with that, that walk that he had going. And uh, I was like, you know, I, I don't know what he's doing, but I don't want to get in his way. They're walking four abreast, and I don't think I can get past. So I'm going to go downstairs, and then I'm going to wait for him to pass, and I'm going to come back upstairs. I don't know what that – maybe that makes me a coward. I don't know. Here's one great story about Bob Knight, and uh, this kind of who he was. I, I've heard this kind of thing happen several times. I was a journalism student at Indiana, and we were tasked with getting interviews. And we had a, I had a classmate, 
uh, a woman who said she was going to get an interview with Bob Knight. And I said, okay, good luck with that. So uh, she said, do you know where I could find him? And I said, well, you can find him in his office or he's given this speech at the auditorium and it's next week. So maybe you can find your way backstage and see what happens. So that's where she went. And she, she wasn't trying to ambush him, and it was never going to air anywhere. So uh, as he's coming off the stage after the speech, she says, uh, Coach Knight, I'm a journalism student. I want to interview you for my class. And he said, I don't have time for that. She said, as he was walking away, well, you don't like the way journalists do their jobs. Here's an opportunity for you to impact a journalism student and teach her how to do her job better. And he spun around and walked back to her and did like eight great minutes with her. And it was just awesome. You know, but that's kind of who he was. He, he would, it, it, it seems, he'd, you know, kind of get gruff until you gave him a reason not to be gruff. And then he wasn't very gruff at all. I don't think that that worked for his players, though. I know uh, a good number of his former players, and they tell stories about Bob Knight, some of them very, very positive, and they've had a great impact. Uh, Bob Knight's had a great impact on many of their lives. Some, not so much. And some still love him as a result of that. I was at a game uh, back in, is probably 88, and right behind the bench. And Todd Jadlow played for Indiana then. And I've talked to Todd Jadlow about this. He has no recollection of it, and I don't blame him for not having a recollection of it. He's playing, and uh, Knight takes him out of the game, puts him on the bench. He's sitting on one of those chairs that Knight famously flung across uh, the court. And uh, he dresses, and this is Ryan White, the famous, the AIDS victim, uh, was sitting right like two seats in front. We were in the second row. He was in the front row. And Senator Richard Luger was about two rows behind us. So these were these were very good seats and populated. Indiana was really good then. Jay Edwards was playing. Lyndon Jones is a really good team. And uh, so he's killing Todd Jadlow, calling him names with a string of profanities that I've never heard put together. It was incredible. Every word you can think of, and I mean it, every single one used toward Todd Jadlow to the point. I'm sitting with the great Polly Balls. I said, Polly, if that's my son, I'm going over the bench and I'm going to attack him. I would never have my son dealt with uh, on this level by a coach. This is just ridiculous. And then I talked to Todd Jadlow, and this was seven, eight years ago, and Todd's been through some changes. Todd's been through some, some real stuff in his life. Two DUIs in the same day he was arrested for. That's not easy. And, and so he's, he's been through some changes. He wrote a book telling his story, and, and he talked about the love that he has for Bob Knight and, and how, how, what a positive impact Bob Knight had on his life. So it wasn't, it, it, you know, you look at this book, you look at Season on the Brink, and this is really, this is kind of the, the teller of tales, right? The John Feinstein book, which is just awesome. A tremendous book. All John Feinstein books are. But the stories in it, in isolation, don't reveal the man. In totality, 
the good, the bad, the ugly. You've got this book, too. You've got Nightmares, right? The Dark Side of Bobby Knight from those who know him best. And then you've got Good Night, the good side of Bobby Knight from those who know him best. They're at almost equal parts good and, and negative. And, and that's kind of just the way he operated. But one thing is unmistakable about Bob Knight, and that is that Bob Knight could flat coach basketball. He was a great basketball coach. He did the most uh, confident, if not absurdly arrogant thing that I've ever seen a college basketball coach do. And this was also in the 80s. And I, I believe I was still a student at IU. And they would do a half-hour pregame on Channel 4 before the games. And in that pregame, Bob Knight would lay out a, on a dry erase board, like a, a, you know, sort of a blackboard, but dry, you know what a dry erase board is. He'd lay out exactly what Indiana was going to do to stop every one of its opponents. Here's how we're going to defend these guys. Here's this guy. Here's that guy. Here's Jepson. Here's Marble. Here, he's talking about Iowa. And we're going to do this. We're going to, you know, this is how we're going to play man. We're going to, you know, help off this guy. We're not going to help off this guy. Blah, blah, blah. He'd go on for about seven minutes within that pregame, laying out the entire game plan prior to the game. And then Indiana would go out and kick somebody's ass. And it was just... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I was like, I can't believe I'm watching this. Like, we're watching, before the game, we're watching exactly what Indiana is going to do in order to beat their opponent. And, and you know, now we've got coaches, like, you got a coach like Shane Steichen, and God bless him, and I don't mind this at all. I, I'm not busting on Shane Steichen of the Indianapolis Colts. Today, he wouldn't say who the starting cornerback is going to be opposite Jalen Jones. He wouldn't tell us who it was going to be. He said, because then they'll know. This was a guy who not only would tell you who is going to play, who's going to start, what the rotation was going to be, but exactly how they were going to defend tactically what they expected the opposing offense to do pri immediately prior to the game. It was outrageous. And like I said, then Indiana would go out and kick other teams' ass after he showed them how they were going to kick their ass. It's extraordinary. Uh, so many, one of the things about, about that night that's really interesting to me is it's kind of a tale, I think there are three real eras, and they're defined by their decades. And when you, when you talk to people who played for Bob Knight in the 70s, you get one version of Bob Knight 
that's very unique. And then you talk to people who played for him in the 80s, and you get another very interesting, unique look at, at an evolving person, a person who, is, who had evolved from what he was in the 70s to the leader that he became in his 80s. And he was hired really young at Indiana. He was 31 years old when he came to Indiana as a head coach. And he won that national championship at the age of, what, 35, about to turn 36, six months away from turning 36. His birthday was October 25th. And, and then another national championship in 1940, or 1981 when he was 40. So this is a guy who experienced a lot of personal growth as he achieved tremendous professional greatness. It, like I said, in the 80s, a different person. And then in the 90s, a completely different person. And the way you hear about him from the people who played in those decades. And I've wondered over time, in talking to people, was it Bob Knight who changed? Or was it the players who changed? We know the kids today are way different from what they were in the 90s or the 80s or the 70s. Kids are just different. That's the way it works. You know, the, the kids of today were college students in the 90s. And it, their parents were college students in the 90s. And so being, uh, being exposed to different generations of kids maybe shaded him differently, or it's just the recollections are different. I'm not sure. I do a, uh, a, a show like this twice a week, most weeks. We didn't do one Monday because I was a little under the weather and didn't want to infect the Dockiches. But Dan Dockich and I will do uh, Two Big Brains, a show, and pretty much we talk about the Colts and we talk about Indiana basketball and a little bit about Indiana football, but primarily Colts and IU basketball. And Dan spent more time with Bob Knight as both a player and a coach than anybody else in, in, in other than, I, I would guess, Pat Knight, but Dan was there as a freshman, 81-82. That was his freshman year. And he left in 1997 to go be the head coach at Bowling Green. And uh, you talk to Dan about Bob Knight, and you get, you get a look at kind of two different relationships. One is leader-mentor. You know, that's Bob Knight, the leader-mentor, and the student-player and assistant coach kind of in that peer group, sort of, if Knight ever let Dan become a peer. And, and then that uh, a more antagonistic relationship that developed after that. And, and you, you do get this sense. You get this, this good night nightmares thing, capable of doing so much good and being so wonderful to so many, and then capable of being utterly dismissive and kind of repulsed by people. There's a great story, and, and Bob Kravitz should probably tell it, but I've heard him tell it on the air, so I think it's in the public domain, and what the hell. Uh, first time, yeah, I don't know what would happen today if a coach tried to pull this at any university, but Bob Kravitz, with the IDS at that point, which is the IU student newspaper, uh, calls Indiana Athletics and said, I'd, I'd like to get a one-on-one -on -one interview with Coach Knight. He might have called him you know, Bob Knight. I don't, know. I don't know where Bob stands on journalists referring to coaches as coach. Um, anyway, so Kravitz 
comes, I think he's in Bob Knight's office or he's in the line. He's told where to go and he's sitting there. And Bob Knight walks in completely naked, sits across from Bob, not too far from Bob, looks him in the eye and says, ask your questions. You know, that's take, there are famous stories about Lyndon Johnson when he was president of the United States having press conferences in the bathroom while he urinated. You know, all right, what's your question? Well, that, that's going to throw a, a media member, even a seasoned media member, going to be like, Mr. President, you're urinating. You know, it's like that's going to dominate your, your bandwidth, that the president of the United States taking a piss right there is you're going to ask the man a question. And Knight, naked, ask your questions. I'm not sure if Bob remembers what the questions were. If he does and he told me what they were, I don't remember what they were. He, he was important to me, Bob Knight was, as preposterous as that is. There were like 33,000 students at IU in Bloomington in uh, like during the period of time that I was there. Now they're like 40,000. They built more apartments and dorms. They got more people. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. But you thought when you made decisions, you thought about Bob Knight when you were at Indiana. That's how large he loomed on the campus. You didn't think, well, he's going to pop around the corner. He's going to catch you taking a, a keg into Briscoe for a floor party. You know, that wasn't a thing that popped into your head. But he was omnipresent on the campus, and he was a leader on the campus. And he was a guy where you, when you went to his lectures, you listened, and you paid attention, and you took things from them. The power of the word no. One lesson. You know, never say yes first. Always say no. Hey, Dad, can I go out Friday night? This is on a Tuesday. No, I don't think so. Then on Thursday, you can come back and say, look, I've been thinking about it. I might have been hasty. Yeah, you can go out on Friday. You're a hero. If you're at, it asked on Tuesday, Dad, can I go out? And you say, uh, yeah, sure, absolutely. You can go out Friday. And then you come back on Thursday and say, you know what? I've decided the answer is no. This is a bad idea. Then you're, you're hated as a dad. So always say no. And uh, I never subscribed to that, but I thought it was a really, really interesting way to look at, at kind of parenthood through Bob Knight's eyes. When he taught about basketball, you paid attention. 
because nobody knew more than, about basketball than Bob Knight. Nobody was more capable of teaching the game of basketball than Bob Knight. He did the, the best work that he probably ever did at Indiana. They didn't win a title. They went to the Elite Eight, and it was in 1984. You had Steve Alford as a freshman. You had Dan. You had Uwe Blopp. You had Todd Meyer, I believe, as a freshman. You had Daryl Thomas, I believe, as a freshman. You had Stu Robinson. You had Andre Morgan. It was just kind of, there weren't All-Americans on that team. It wasn't terribly talented, but they just kept winning. And when they got to the Sweet 16 game against Michael Jordan and UNC and Dean Smith, Bob Knight and the Hoosiers beat the Tar Heels' ass. And then they lose in the Elite Eight game to Virginia, I think 50-48. to 48. Could have easily gone to the Final Four. And who'd they have? The next year, pretty much with everybody back, I think, I don't know how many people uh, were no longer with the program, they only made it to the NIT. That wasn't great. And you talk about season on the brink, right? So season on the brink chronicles the 1985-1986 season, which was my final year, <laughs> to my parents' glee, at Indiana. And that year... Things kind of went in fits and spurts, and John Feinstein did a great job of chronicling it. And, and then the book comes out right in the middle of the season, the following year, after Bob Knight brings in Dean Garrett and Keith Smart out of JUCO and had not done that before, had not gone into the JUCO ranks to go get guys to come to Indiana, but still had Alford and Meyer and, and a lot of those guys, Uwe was gone, Dan was gone at that point. And so you, you, you had the core of a really good team, the dysfunctional portion of that team, they were gone. And we'll, it, there were guys who were, who were not uh, a force for good, maybe, on that 85-86 team. At any rate, no reason to drag them into this. But Bob Knight, again, did another great job. In coaching, and he's, I think, famously said after beating Dale Brown to go to the Final Four, I believe it was, that was the order of games, then beat UNLV and then beat Syracuse to win the thing. You know, they were down nine with four and a half minutes left. And, and he said either about that game or about the game against LSU in 81, he said they th he thought they were in trouble. Then he looked at the other bench and saw Dale, uh, saw Dale Brown. I thought, okay, we're still in this thing. Like you, you gotta love a coach that's gonna call out peers. It, coaches never do that, and coaches today, under no circumstance, do that. But Bob Knight calling out Dale Brown, it gave it gave Indiana and Indiana fans a swagger, and it was just different. And and it was it was so entertaining. And you learn so much about basketball. And from learning about basketball, you learn so much about life. And the the basketball lessons, I, I think they're one of the reasons that Indiana's had a real problem. Uh, a, a real problem being able to uh, make coaches feel comfortable at Indiana. And I, I really think the coaches being comfortable is one of the reasons that they haven't succeeded. Whether it was Mike Davis whether that in Kelvin Sampson, I don't know what the hell was going on with Kelvin Sampson. Kelvin Sampson's a good basketball coach, though, but you can't do what he did and be the coach at Indiana. Maybe you can do what he did and be the coach at Houston, 
But you can't be the coach at Indiana and be a crook. You, you can't do that because we don't accept it. Indiana fans, people tethered to Indiana basketball, either through their attendance at Indiana, their fan, whatever. Bob Knight set the standard, and the standard was, we are not only going to kick your ass. We are going to be cleaner than what the NCAA requires of us by rule. We are never going to cheat. Not only will there be no impropriety within the program, but there will be no... We're going to set our own standard far above the rule requirements of the NCAA. And that's what Indiana did. And they won in his first 24 seasons. They won 11 Big Ten championships. And those three... uh, three national championships, and went to five Final Fours. Bob Knight knew basketball. Bob Knight, maybe, I think I, I don't think I said this before, Bob Knight, maybe his best period job as a coach was early on at Texas Tech. Everybody left. Like, they had a bad team. He replaced a coach that had not done much with the program, and a lot of guys left. He was left, I think, with two scholarship players. And he turned that thing around and won with those guys. He could win with anyone. That's what, that's what the feeling was. And half of Indiana became Texas Tech fans because there was Indiana basketball again. We weren't talking about names on the backs of the jerseys and, and all that like secondary and tertiary nonsense. We were, we were watching basketball again. Man-to-man defense. Good, tough man-to-man and a really solid motion offense. People who think you can't win with a motion offense are out of their minds. Of course you can. It's just got to be taught correctly and executed with with uh, exactitude. And that's what Bob Knight required. And the methodology to get players to be utterly compliant, it wasn't always pretty. But it was almost always successful. And uh, I, I think that, though, the legacy of Bob Knight as a head coach at Indiana is not in the three banners that he hung or even in Mike Woodson being the head coach at Indiana today. I, I think it's in all the players and all the students that took time to pay attention to him during the 29 years he was the head coach at Indiana and on the faculty of Indiana University. We learned a lot about holding ourselves accountable, not necessarily because Bob Knight did. Bob Knight had fits of temper that are legendary and and were sometimes hilarious, depending on how you viewed them. Uh, he could he was utterly uninterested in uh, affecting people positively or being likable. He didn't need to be likable. He didn't need to be liked. What he needed to be was successful at coaching basketball. One of the things he was most proud of, at least during one of those lectures, and this was, you know, 35, 40 years ago, he he goes, I think he went to Claire B's, wherever Claire B was living. Claire B, uh, an incredibly successful, and at this point, really old former basketball coach. Um, but he had... He had taken time to, like, scrawl on a basketball. Bob Knight knows basketball, and it was arduous for him. I don't know whether he was arthritic or what, 
But that meant a lot to Bob Knight. Bob Knight, I interviewed Johnny Bench, uh, what, two and a half months ago at a fundraiser for New Albany High School's athletic department. And Johnny Bench, one of the things he's most proud of is a letter that Bob Knight sent him where he referred to him as the brother he never had. That still means it's still hanging on Johnny Bench's office wall. They were tight. Ted Williams and Bob Knight were tight. Uh, Tony LaRussa and Bob Knight, uh, very tight. A good friend of all those guys. And obviously he gravitated toward excellence. And I think he gravitated toward baseball. Baseball's a real thinking man's game. And, and Bob Knight always kind of uh, envisioned himself as a thinking man's coach, which he was. The way, the way he got compliance from his players, occasionally you can question that. Does a coach need to go to those lengths to uh, generate compliance with his, with his students? But the results, the on-court results, absolutely uh, beyond debate, great. And that, that team, the first team, when I was a freshman, it was 80-81, that was my freshman year at Indiana. And so that year, I would go down to the lounge in Briscoe, which is where I lived, and I'd go down with my books like I was going to study. And I did my best to try to study. I was taking like English Lit, L141 I took, finite math that year, I don't know, Spanish, you know, just that typical freshman year uh, group of introductory classes to stuff. And so I'd... I'd read for like five minutes, and then I'd get distracted by something. One night I got distracted. It was Steve Downing, who at that point was on the staff with Bob Knight at Indiana. And Downing was running like 16-millimeter film of practice. And it was some kind of clinic for intramural coaches, intramural basketball coaches. They were trying to teach the game correctly to those who in intramurals were going to coach the game for a bunch of like frat guys and, and dorm knuckleheads who were going to the hyper trying to pretend like they knew how to play. Man, I didn't miss a one of those. That was fascinating to me. And, and watching that team figure out how to play together. You had real talent on that team. Isaiah Thomas, Jim Thomas, uh, Ray Tolbert, Landon Turner, um, Steve Risley, right? Glenn Grunwald, who went on to run NBA franchises. You had Chuck Franz, Clarksville's very own. You had a but, uh, um, Mike LaFave. How about that? But you had a lot of guys, Randy Whitman, Ted Kitchell, good heavens, uh, Steve Bushy, the late Steve Bushy. You, you saw in practice what they were trying to get done, and then you'd watch the games and you'd see kind of where they measured up against their practice film. And then you, you, Landon Turner. You would watch Landon Turner and you would think, what is going on with that guy? Like, I think at one point, Indiana that season was 9-5, and five, if not 7-5. and five. And you thought, are they ever going to get their heads out of their asses and play basketball in the way that they're being taught and the way they're capable? And then all of a sudden, like first week of February, Oh, you saw flashes of absolute blinding brilliance where they did everything together, everything meshed, everything coalesced, and basketball became this. When we talk about basketball becoming this, that team is a perfect example of it getting done. They go to the NCAA tournament and they beat the shit out of a really good Maryland team. Hammered Maryland 
Man, I, they had two pros. They had Buck Williams. And they had two pros and a good team. And Indiana just started hot, stayed hot, and smothered them on the defensive end. And it was awesome to watch. It was unbelievable. Then I, they played UAB and St. Joe's at Assembly Hall. I think it was the last year that uh, teams were allowed to play on their home court during the NCAA tournament. Uh, Kentucky, DePaul, and Wake Forest had been projected into that uh, regional final. Didn't come to pass. Some losses occurred. Joe B. Hall authored a lot of early exits. Uh, Ray Meyer, poor Ray Meyer, and Mark Aguirre in Dayton. Mark Aguirre famously threw a basketball into the river outside that arena. And, and that was really Ray Meyer's last great chance at, uh, at a national championship anyway. Won those two games, beat LSU, and then beat North Carolina. And, and we were so good at watching Indiana because of what we had been taught by Steve Downing and Bob Knight through the Bob Knight Show and, and talking to players because they always hated Briscoe, so you'd talk to him once in a while. You knew in the first half of that game against North Carolina, one point first half, right? And they were talented. They had guys. I think they had Perkins. They had Worthy at that point, I think. I haven't watched that game in a long time. They didn't have Jordan yet. And you, uh, I was sitting with great Chris Pruitt in, uh, in McNutt, like McNutt Delgado 2's lounge, watching the game. I was like, there's no way Indiana's going to lose this game. <laughs> like, this game's over at halftime. We started the celebration at halftime and, and just kept rolling right through. And uh, Indiana won, what, 63-50, 63-51, something like that. But really just put a hurting on North Carolina in that second half, and you knew it was going to happen. They were just so good together. And so when you, when you watch Indiana, when we watch Indiana, when we watch an Indiana coach, other than Bob Knight, and, and let's accept Woodson for a minute, and they don't do this, and they don't even look like they understand that this exists, that this is what they're trying to get at. Man, you know, a great movie that I think was about Bob Knight, as silly as this sounds, um, this is, uh, it's a movie called Whiplash. And uh, what's his name? Miles Teller plays the drums. And J.K., uh, J.K., what's his name from those, those commercials, uh, and Law and Order, you know, the bald guy. He's the conductor guy. He does, and he explains it so well, that what he's trying to get out of his students is an understanding of jazz, the collectiveness of jazz, but that in that one magical moment, maybe if they work hard enough and they study hard enough, they can exhibit a level of talent and understanding and dazzle an audience with maybe the greatest drum solo ever. And it, it, J.K. Simmons. And that's about Bob Knight teaching the game of basketball to basketball players. In this case, it's J.K. Simmons teaching jazz and percussion to uh, Miles Teller as, as he tries to figure out how he can fit into this world of jazz, it, it, it's such, they operate on such 
parallel paths, and he's absolutely abusive. J.K. Simmons could not be a bigger prick to this kid. But I always think about Bob Knight when I watch that movie, and it's always painful to watch, and it was always painful. Like, you went to practice, and every once in a while, because I'd, like, sneak. I'd go up, because stuff's always open. Doors are always open, right? This isn't a secret. And you could go, like, into the balcony and crack open the door and sneak down and watch practice. And Bob Knight would be really, really, like, just almost disconnected from practice and talking to Bob Hamill and blah, 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 blah. And then he'd see something he didn't like, and he was off. And he was corrective in, in a very, very harsh way. And we've seen, like, the Neil Reed thing. And I thought the documentary done about the Neil Reed uh, incidents in his life about the, the coverage of the firing of Bob Knight. I can't even remember what it was called. I disliked it that much. But, um, you know, you'd see some of that. And some people don't deal well with that. And they would transfer. I remember Lawrence Funderburk. Remember Funderburk? You had Funderburk and Cheney and Pat Graham, Greg Graham, uh, all, who else? Chris Lawson? I think was a part of that recruiting class. Anyway, Funderburk was highest ranked of all the guys. And you thought, man, with all these guys, we got to win. It's fantastic. This was the year after. Uh, my final year, thankfully, my parents, you know, they're making signs of the cross as we speak. Um, but that was Funderburk. I read a quote in the paper in Chicago. I was working at WGN Radio and he committed. And I'm reading the paper and I look. And he says, yeah, I need discipline. I welcome it. <laughs> all, right, all right, fella. We're going to see how much you welcome it. It's like, you know, Bill Murray needed Sergeant Hulka, right? But it took a while for Bill Murray to figure out that he needed Sergeant Hulka. Whatever he thought on his way into the Army, right? I'm talking about stripes. Lawrence Funderburg was wheels up quick. I don't think Lawrence Funderburg made it to Christmas. And you could, you knew that he wasn't going to make it to Christmas. Anyway, a big part of Indiana died today in, in Bob Knight. And whether you loved him, whether you loathed him, whatever you felt about Bob Knight as a basketball co coach or a man, you know what? He came to embody what this state is. And, and that's, that's more good than bad, I think for sure. And he's come to embody what Indiana University is. Or Indiana University has come to embody what he is, no matter what happened. And you had presidents, whether it was John Ryan or, you know, Tom Ehrlich or whoever it was, Miles Brand, you couldn't outbrand Bob Knight. You were never going to be able to legislate at that university over the top of Bob Knight. He was larger than life. He did his job better than anybody has ever done it. And, and the vast majority of those who played for him are better for the experience. And those who paid attention to the good and paid attention to the, the, the lessons that he extolled during those lectures or in appearances somewhere else, but you paid attention, they're better for it. And uh, so we grieved for his family. I'm sure Bob Knight was every bit as big within that family structure as he was within the Indiana University structure. And, and that his legacy over time, I, I hope, becomes more defined by the really, really good stuff than, than the stuff 
that just makes good copy and, and makes for good stories. We all know what the stories are. We know about the throwing of the chair, and we know about the Connie Chung interview, and we know about the Neil Reed thing, and we know all that's in this book, Season on the Brink. And I blame John Feinstein for none of what's in it. He's just a really good reporter, and he told people what happened, and that's his job. And that it upset Bob Knight, that's the way it goes. When Al McGuire introduced John to Bob, they had dinner together, and McGuire said, I know one thing. After this is all finished, you guys are never going to talk to each other again. <laughs> and like always, Al McGuire was 100% right. Anyway, we, we grieve the loss of Bob Knight. We are pleased that he has been freed from the isolation that that dreaded disease uh, kind of put him in. And, and you know what? Tomorrow's another day, and it's another day where we're going to talk about Bob Knight. We're going to try to figure out exactly what that legacy is, and we'll do that on WGCL Radio tomorrow morning from 7 to 9, and we'll, uh, I'm sure we'll do it throughout the week as we as we discuss arrangements that I'm sure have been made and uh, Indiana University honoring Bob Knight in some way on, on those jerseys, which is absolutely good and appropriate. Scott Dolson was a, a student manager for IU basketball during the Bob Knight era. He has great respect for Bob Knight. Mike Woodson, obviously a great player for Bob Knight from 76 to 80 and uh, fall of 76, not a part of the championship team. But, um, you know, th this is going to be, I think it's going to be a time for people who were there then of reflection and, and a desire to continue to understand a really, really complicated dude, and, and, but a really, really great coach. We'll talk to you tomorrow morning at 640, 645. Looking forward to it.